This is Joe Burns. And Beth West. Hey, thank you for listening to the Rock School Radio Podcast. We think you'll learn something. Now remember, if you want to hear the show with all the music in place, go to kslu.org and stream the show live. Thursdays at 5 and Sundays at 4. It's a new show every week. Now enjoy this week's Rock School Radio Show. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. It's time for school. Rock school with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Oh, dude, you look a lot like Mike Rutherford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that a lot. Yeah. And Beth West. It's like when you get to that last bit of your ice cream cone. You just can't. You just have to eat the paper. Class is in. Yeah, it's the Rock School Radio Show as we start summer here on the campus of Southeastern Louisiana University. It's deserted here. It's deserted. You're not kidding. You could <laughs> roll bowling balls down through the middle of this place and not That's hit a, a human good being. Idea. Where do we get bowling balls? <laughs> are there bowling balls somewhere on this campus? Hey, I'm Joe Burns. You are? Beth West. Beth, uh, I'm going to ask a, a woman her age. What year were you born, Beth West? 1978. 78. That means you're a 6'4. Carry the one. That means you're 26. Yep. Right. Uh, I'm terrible at math. <laughs> Obviously, then you weren't around in 73. I Not was. Yet, and no. Todd, who is uh, recording the show today, you were around and I'm just sort of getting a thumbs up, thumbs down. You were around in 73. Yes, you were. 73-74, Beth, little history. 73-74 was when OPEC, the oil-producing nations right. and such, their the sort acronym, of get-together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they started an oil embargo against the number of this oh it was it was <laughs> terrible it really was all those old grainy 1970s it wasn't even video back then films uh, that you see of cars lined up at uh, gas stations and such that's all from that 1973 embargo it didn't last very long but its effects went on and on really and on. how long did it last well it, it lasted less than a year it went from uh October of 73 through March of 74. That's all the longer the embargo went. Okay. But its effects went on and on. And although, and I want to get into the history of it a little bit, explaining what it did in the United States, and it, it had reaching effects across the globe, but because the world ran on oil more right. than it did yeah. today. Right. But I want to talk about what it did in the United States. However, since it was such a far-reaching effect that this embargo had, it had an effect on the world of music. Well, in that it touched everything, I'm sure. Sure. In some way. And it not only touched it in terms of, well, it had this climate and thus this music had an effect and, and thus it, it, it allowed this to occur. It had an effect on the raw material. Like a, a direct effect. Oh, direct effect yeah. on the raw material of how music was made mm -hmm. and the raw materials and how music companies at the time promoted artists. Huh. I, 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 I was, can't wait to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> I was sitting and reading just things, you know, looking for something to talk about. One line about this oil embargo and records, and it just began to snowball. And I thought, this is really neat. 
So I went and I grabbed January 74 and February 74 in terms of albums, and it matters of January and February. And I'm going to tell you later in the show why it matters. Okay. These specific months. So we'll play one from those months. We'll start with the faces. Of course, Rod Stewart's band. Stay with me right here on Rock School. Talking 1973, specifically the end of 73, uh, the OPEC oil embargo. Now, before we get into the music, let me explain to you what happened. In 73, specifically October of 73, OPEC begins an oil embargo against a number of Western countries, including the United States. Right. These countries were considered to have helped Israel against Syria. That's war against Syria, okay. right? Okay. This kind of this rings a bell a little bit. We okay. never got around to this in American history because they always ran out of time. Sure. <laughs> you know, you got to like World War II. And then it ends. And then right. they were like, oh, we ran out of time. And then the rest of the 20th century until today. Right. The it, end. It's like watching the History Channel. If you take what the History Channel shows, the only thing that ever happened was World War II. Right, yeah. That's it. Uh, according to my sources, it was part of the Yom Kippur War of 73, and as a result, gas prices, pardon me, oil prices rose from $3 a barrel to $12 a barrel. Now, in wow. relation to today, straight dollars, who cares? But imagine oil's what, about 100 bucks a barrel today? Right. That would mean it would go from 100 to $300 a barrel, bang, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it it commenced gas rationing. It devalued the U.S. dollar. Gas stations had lines around the block because U.S. gas stations were required by law to put a limit on the amount of gas you could buy. A lot of companies put it so that if you had an even number at the end of your license plate, you could buy on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you had an odd number, Whoa. you could buy on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and they closed on Sunday. That kind of rationing probably, not to bring up World War II again, but probably hadn't been seen since World War II. I would think you're correct. Uh, the federal government got involved and Nixon decided that they would change the uh, speed limit to 55 miles an hour at the end of 73. That's where Was that came from. Was it higher than that? I believe so. In fact, states were allowed to set their own their As own they speed are limits. now, they, right? As they are now. Became a, a federal... A federal day, a federal number. Daylight savings time was extended to year round to reduce electrical really? use in American homes. Oh yeah, people were asked. You know, when the government asks, you know, in, in Soviet asked. Russia, nice. yeah. the bear eats you. <laughs> uh, people were asked to decrease their thermostats to sixty-five degrees, and factories changed their. Uh, main energy supply to coal. So that was really wow. good for the air. Yeah. So and a global recession came around. So, so that's you know, what happened. Slight effects. Now, what were people buying music on back then? What vinyl. was the main vinyl? Yeah. Right. Now it was an oil embargo. Well, you know, so what? You know, vinyl is made of oil. oil. I didn't know Right. That. There's a lot of different byproducts of oil. It's not just the gas that we put in our car. It makes you a got lot it. Of things. You got it. So when you when you bought a record, still today when you buy a record, you're buying a byproduct of oil. 
And so this vinyl, which is technically called polyvinyl chloride, Mm -hmm. just as everything else tripled in value or tripled in price, i.e. polyvinyl chloride did as well. well. Yeah, makes sense. And a heck of a impact occurred on the record buying public. And when we get back, we'll start talking about it. Here's another one from early 1974. And again, I'm going to tell you why that matters here in a little bit. This is Joni Mitchell. Help me. I think I'm falling in price. And she does right here on Rock School. Help me. I think I'm falling in love again. When I get that crazy feeling, I know I'm in trouble again. I'm in trouble Cause you're a rambler and a gambler And a sweet-talking ladies man And you love your loving Okay, now we know the reason why There is a problem with vinyl back in 1973 There's an oil embargo you can't get the byproduct of vinyl or what's known as polyvinyl chloride. It became expensive. Okay, so what did record companies do? Did they change the format that they produce things in? Exactly that. They couldn't produce less music because producing less vinyl would mean less money coming in. Right, yeah. So what they They're did... They're not going to do that. Heck no. <laughs> they cut the amount of PVC, polyvinyl chloride, they cut the amount of PVC in their albums by 8 to 12% and then put in other filler materials. And this poor vinyl stuff... Uh, what they called poor vinyl construction, continued well into the 80s. As a matter of fact, some secondary creators of music, Rhino Records and Mm -hmm. things like that, all those secondary little groups that you would see where you could buy them, like Columbia House and all that. Oh, right, yeah. They used that formula for the longest time. So how much was cut? You buy a record album today that is of the old or before this time, it is approximately 180 grams Okay. That's what it that's what it weighs. That's a solid record album. The record albums that were created because of the lack of polyvinyl are between 100 and 106 grams. This makes sense. I feel like older records when you pick them up. I don't even I don't have a lot of vinyl. I don't even have a lot of experience mm-hmm. with vinyl, but I've always noticed older ones have that thick right. like feeling to it and the um ones that are more recent are kind of floppy exactly floppy is exactly the correct word that's what they called it you could hold it on one end and, and go, shake it <laughs> right it would be like you know playing the saw that yeah. kind of thing and furthermore when an album went crazy and the whole world wanted it they had trouble keeping up with mm-hmm. the demand because the fillers and such even got hard to find and what well, suddenly they were in right, demand right it got difficult uh, in fact the who were on tour supporting quadrophenia and it was blatant the quadrophenia was the most popular stuff out there it only got into the top 10 in the UK in terms of sales. Why? Well, because nobody could find a copy of it. You just couldn't keep it on the shelves. You couldn't keep it on the shelves. Well, and the reason shame. you couldn't is because they couldn't produce enough mm-hmm. to actually keep up with demand. There just wasn't anything that was out there that you could equate. Because today you can do vinyl, you can do cassette, you can do eight-track tape. Now, not a lot of people do this, but you right, can. Yeah. There's and multiple how physical. Many, right. Yeah. Back then, you had records. Yeah. And that was that. And if you couldn't keep up with the records, 
you ran into trouble. And that, the Quadrophenia album, is seen as sort of the the high watermark of this is what happened to music in 1973. Now, were there other concerns? Oh, sure. And I have a list of them here. And many companies attempted to um, come up with different formulations to defeat this problem. And I'll talk about them. Okay. But yeah, for the, for the most part, all of this chloride that they were poly- buying, polyvinyl chloride, all of a sudden was gone. So they cut it. And I'll tell you something else they did here in just a little bit, right here on Rock School. But this is first the Who. It's Quadrophini on Rock School. Why should I care? Why should I care? Okay, into the first break here on Rock School. Now, because people could not get, we're talking once again about the 1973 OPEC oil embargo and the effect it had on music. And we're going to talk about the fact that not only were they having trouble with records, but the fact that they were having trouble with records starts to bring other forms of music recording and the selling of music into play here in just a little bit. But the problem was that since they, they, the record companies, could not find enough vinyl, they started to do something they had never done before. Vinyl, since it's an oil product, can be reused. Oh, yeah. Yes. So instead of simply saying to the record companies, don't worry about those records, do them as cutouts, resell them, that kind of thing, the record companies began asking for them back. So they could recycle them. They could recycle them, right. They chewed them up and put them together. And I went to a blog, which was really neat, talking to people about the the time. And it says here that this guy said he worked in a record store at the time. Record sales did not slow down. People wanted their records. It was the only way to buy music at the time. You're not going to just say, oh, well, we can't really get music, so I guess I don't want any anymore. Right. He said, though, that records started to come back. There were returns. People didn't like the little skinny records. The bass response stunk. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure that it had some kind of effect on the way it sounded. Right. When you're you're dealing with a record, a cantilever that's attached to a needle, which then goes down into the groove of a record, the deeper the needle goes, down there is where the bass response is. It's down in there. And if you've got a thinner record, blatantly, you're not going to have as much. much. Right. And you would have what they called at the time a rumble. It, there isn't enough space for the needle to go down in so the, the needle would shake. It wouldn't be far enough down into a groove, so it would shake, and they called it an audio rumble. Okay. People didn't like that. So they brought them back, and they found this guy and, and others, on this, um, others on this blog said, when records started to come back, they would notice that some of them would have skips in weird places. And when you started inspecting the records, there were pieces of paper inside the vinyl. Pieces of paper? What they were supposed to do was take old records, get rid of the label. The label, yeah. Right. Well, sometimes the label wouldn't come off completely, and the paper that was left behind got ground up and put into 
the vinyl. Whoa. And when they pressed the new records, the paper was inside of the vinyl. It's like when you get to that last bit of your ice cream cone. You just can't. You just have to eat the paper. You just have to eat the paper. <laughs> but it's not. It's not as good. Yeah. And he said this happened again and again and again. It just drove people crazy. Oh, I'm they, sure. That's crazy. Right. And they especially found it on the outer rims of the record. Because if you've ever seen a, a record being made, a big glorp just falls in the middle of uh-huh. two presses and it pushes it together. Yeah. And he said for some reason it always got pushed to the outside. So it was always the first track that had a piece of paper stuck huh. in it. I wonder why. I know. Doesn't that drive you crazy? Yeah, yeah. it would. would it yeah. would, me too. KSCL Shreveport. Thanks for running the radio show. Hello, WBSD in Burlington, Wisconsin. Yuckarooski. Hey, <laughs> uh, get us on Facebook because you want to. You want to. Search Rock School We're Radio fun. Show. We're fun. And Thursdays, I put up uh, trivia questions about the show, and you get to find out what it is before we actually air it. Back in a minute on Rock School. <laughs> Okay, continuing on with the effect on music of the 1973 OPEC oil embargo, and I got a whole bunch more, but do you remember me saying to you a couple times that it matters that some of the music we're playing is from early January yeah, of 1974? Yeah, you only said it like five times. Well, this will be the last time I say <laughs> it. This will be the last time I say it. Notice... This is all the more record albums that were released January of 1974. Oh, that's not a very long list. Yeah, there's only about, what, 12 there? And in February, it gets a little bit longer. And there are some there are some known albums here. Living and Dying in Three-Quarter Time by Jimmy Buffett came out then. Uh, Badfinger by Badfinger came out. Uh, there's What's another one that people would know? Not a great deal. A lot of live albums are there. But other than that, uh, not a tremendous amount. Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot came out, The Way We Were by Barbara Streisand. But other than that, not a lot of really well-known albums. Okay, why? The reason is the record companies did not want to put out any major artists because they couldn't support them. Right, yeah. There they was, couldn't get the actual material out there. Right. So if you had a major album coming out, some major person, there was just literally no way of doing it. So you were sort of holding them back to see if the embargo was going to go away, if the the problem with oil was going to resolve itself. Very few majors came out, except one actually did. In February of 74, a company took a shot, and this little-known band that wore a whole bunch of makeup, Kiss. Oh, really? Right. Is it the first album? First album. They came out, and my assumption is they thought, well, you know... They're either going to make it or they're not. Yeah, it was a good time to take a chance. From the first Kiss album, which was named Kiss, came out early 1974. This is called Kissin' Time, right here on Rock School. Okay, coming out of Kiss, that was the only single from that album, that Kiss in Time. Oh. That was the only single from the album. So we're to the bottom of the hour, a little past it, by the way. Let's do the names once again. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Beth West. Let's take a break from 1973 and do seven days in 70 seconds. Something that happened on all these dates, May 20th all the way through May 26th. Beth has Monday go. May 20th, 1977, the stage show Beatlemania premiered at the Winter Garden Theater in New York. All right, May 21st, 1969, John Lennon and Yoko Ono begin a bed-in for peace 
at Montreal's Elizabeth Hotel. May 22nd, 1970, Elvis Presley signs a three-picture deal with MGM. Oh, they're awful. <laughs> Just terrible. Yeah. May 23rd, 1979, The Kids Are All Right, Jeff Stein's documentary compilation dealing with The Who debuts in New York. May 24th, 1979, all members of Genesis manned a box office selling their own tickets to a concert benefiting L.A.'s Roxy. How many times did somebody come up and buy the ticket? And just not even know? Right. <laughs> just, I know, that would be awesome. Dude, you look a lot like Mike Rutherford. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. May 25th, 1965, Dave Davies, rhythm guitarist for the Kings, was knocked unconscious when he careened into drummer Mick Avery's cymbal during a concert in London. Yikes. Why am I never at these concerts <laughs> I when know. this stuff? happens. May 26, 2002, the very first episode of At Home with the Osbournes premieres on MTV in the UK. All right. You obviously were long since past vinyl when you began sort of collecting yeah, your records. Yeah, when I started buying, I was buying cassette tapes. Do you do you have a, I'm sort of yelling at Todd in the room, do you have a vinyl collection? Do you collect vinyl at all? He does. Yeah, he does. If you remember, there were at the time, uh, you probably have, have maybe looked back at this, there were things called die cuts in the 1970s. People were a big fan of them. Like Led Zeppelin's three had all those cutouts. There was a spin wheel in it. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. Physical graffiti was something uh-huh. you could pull out. It was a, a tenement building in New York. Mm-hmm. And if you moved it, uh, the Some Girls LP for the Stones had cuts out in it. Yeah. Uh, there were also other ones like Bob Marley's Catch a Fire was a round cover. Yes. Yes. All of that was dropped. So uh, there are people who collect records, not just so much for the record, but for the packaging the, the that they're in. The artistic packaging. That, you got it. Yeah, they give Grammys for that, right? The packaging. I'm almost positive they do. Yeah. I'm almost positive they do. All of that was dropped, and again, this blog that I went on to, a lot of the people were were record uh, collectors, and they stated that these things from 73, 74, you have to get the, these people are really into it, you got to know the number, the year, all that. If you can get it, they're known as OPEC packaging. And it becomes a collector's item. I wonder, though, why did it affect the packaging? Because... I would assume because in order to make the paper, remember they were it was an oil based society. Right. So anything you made eventually required goes oil. Back you to got oil. it. Right. So if you could get Led Zeppelin three without the die cuts and it was the correct year, it's I guess somewhat somewhat collectible. Uh, Jethro Tull's uh, Thick as a Brick had a newspaper dust cover sleeve dropped. Gone. Huh. They just didn't do it and anymore. And it's so strange that these minimalist packaging things now are collector's items sure that becomes the collector's item not the fancy pants i would i would think if you could get them both Both, if you had the packaging plus the really crappy (laughs) with a piece of paper in the vinyl that's sort of i don't know you've hit the rosetta stone right there like a penny with a a bit like a screw up penny like with upside down perfect yeah the stamp that's got the upside down you know plane on it perfect uh grand funk's e pluribum Funk was also dropped as a round cover, and they say that's one of the most expensive. You can get your hands on it. Oh. Foot Stomp and Music kicked off that album. Sounds like this on Rockstar. Okay, one more quick one before we get into the second break. 
There was, like we said before, a real concern with the fact that they were not, they, the record companies, were not using what was known as virgin vinyl. They were taking old records, crushing them up, remelting the vinyl, and even bits of paper were getting caught in that. Well, RCA had created something called Dynaflex. Dynaflex was created in 69 in order to save money, even before the concept of this oil embargo came up. Well, it's one of these things where we have this technology. Let's take a shot at it. What Dynaflex did was use a flexible formulation of virgin vinyl to create it. The point of Dynaflex records, and they sold them uh when this thing uh, came around, was to create a smaller, as in thinner, version of a record so you could have them lie flatter on the platter. What they, <laughs> that's, that was their pitch. Flatter on the platter. Flatter on the platter. And furthermore, the thicker records would break in shipping. Yeah. So that was probably the onus for creating them to begin with, so they wouldn't break. Right. And they also flapped, like you said earlier. You grab it on the end, you shake yeah, it, and it, it would flap like a wind. Their flexibility, uh, like they said, made them more resilient in shipping, resulting in fewer returns. So when this thing hit in 73, they went crazy and started putting these things out, and people thought it was wonderful until they began really listening to them. Uh, People who owned them say they were noisier, they again lacked bass frequencies, and they were compared, uh, when they were compared to conventional records. So Dynaflex thought, they thought, was sort of the holy grail to kill all of this, and it didn't work real well. not so good. The first songs to be put out on Dynaflex, Youngbloods. Here it is, get together on Rock School. Move his right now, right now, right now. All right, second break here on Rock School, just a touch late. Uh, one other thing I wanted to tell you about the Dynaflex Records. It got a nickname as Dino Warp because it was so thin when it would sit on the shelves. You know how records have a a shrink wrap around them? Yeah. When they would sit on the shelves, because records sit vertically, they don't sit flat, the packaging, because of heat, would shrink and up and shrink and up. It would pull the record. So they would literally make waves. Exactly. You'd pull the record out, and it could be everything from, like you said, waved to cupped. Oh my goodness. Right, and it, it started to get people upset and they, they started so. calling them Dino Warp. A record that is unable to be played is not so good. It's when when I was working radio at first, we were still getting records, and you would be stunned at how many records would show up and the grooves would be sort of twisted. Oh. And Donna Summer would <laughs> Okay, so why not do something different? In nineteen sixty two, Phillips invented the cassette. And it had yeah. been around because you, you think to yourself, well, why not invent something different? Well, it's already out there. And in 1966, Mercury Records, now this is according to Billboard magazine, uh, July 16th version back uh, in 1966, uh, Mercury Records started putting out music on the uh, cassette tape. Roger Miller, the Four Seasons, the Smothers Brothers, uh, Leslie Gore, and Patti Page were the first people to be put out on the cassette. And this thing in 1973, in the 1974, a lot of people believe was the onus to have the music buying public stop and go, records just aren't doing it anymore. 
time to move on to something new. Right. I see it's I see but, their yeah, foibles. It's not so easy to just turn around and just say like, okay, now we're putting everything on this. I I agree I mean, with you, but doesn't that seem to happen a lot in the music industry? Well, yeah, it does. It's just I mean, I guess it wasn't. People just thought, oh, just put it on something else. So yeah, like you can just right. do that. Now, in a day. Right. Now we're all cassettes. Rebuy your yeah. music library. Oh, now we're CDs. Rebuy your music <laughs> yeah. library. Oh, now we're downloads. Rebuy your yeah. music library. Hey, vinyl's coming back. Rebuy your music Everything, library. Yeah. It really it really seems as if it's planned. It does seem like that. It does, A doesn't little it? bit. They've oh. gotten us, too. Hello, KLSU. Thanks for running the radio show. Hello, Radio Universidad in Salamanca, Spain. You bet. Back in a minute on Rock School. All right, last break here on Rock School, and you brought up a neat point off the air. You, I didn't see anything about this, but you said touring. Yeah, that was my, when you said, oh, you know, how the oil embargo affected music, my initial reaction was, oh, you can't tour if you can't afford gas. So right, there and that would make sense. There must have been fewer tours. Uh, I found nothing about that. It would have, and if gas would have cost more, and touring would have cost more. That means an increase in ticket prices because the bands wouldn't have eaten yeah, that cost. Yeah, and then cost. you, yeah, then you have people who cannot afford it. You know, so uh, yeah, there's see, probably the, some kind of that domino keeps yeah. going. And speaking of that domino, there's a lot of people that believe that the the '73 oil embargo is strongly responsible for punk. I think this may be giving it more strength than it deserves. But you've got this turn down in the economy. You've got slowed production, lack of jobs, more working well, yeah, class and- kids. Punk, punk is a reaction to a depressed economic situation a lot of it so yeah. so uh, it's it's not it's not a hard jump to make that statement maybe for another show maybe 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 <laughs> uh we're going to finish up with genesis the lamb lies down on broadway which if i'm not mistaken is the last album peter gabriel is with them on how about that for poor backwards english but <laughs> The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is a concept album that was put together specifically dealing with tough economic times. And where did the tough economic times come from? Oil. The oil embargo. Yeah, so it is an underlying theme of the entire thing. So, hey, we'll see you next week. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Beth West. That's it. Class is dismissed.